Chapter Four of Our Little Canadian Cousin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rene Lacroix. Our Little Canadian Cousin by Elizabeth Roberts MacDonald. Chapter Four. The day before they left for camp, Dora received a letter from her mother, telling something of their surroundings and of the beauties of the western land. As the others were keenly interested, she read them many extracts which even Jackie enjoyed. We are now, her mother wrote, after describing the journey by the Great Canadian Pacific Railway and speaking encouragingly of the invalid's condition, comfortably settled in Victoria which as of course you know dear is the capital city of british columbia it is a truly beautiful spot and the climate is delightful there are great varieties of climate we hear in this maritime province of the west victoria is supposed to enjoy a very mild and even one with roses and geraniums blooming outdoors in december and the cold weather confined almost entirely to parts of january and february there is another delightful part of the country which we may visit later it is in one of the valleys which cut across the coast range of mountains these deep valleys are entirely shut off from the north winds and freely admit the warm breezes from the coast while the rays of the sun are concentrated on their steep sides helping to make at times almost tropical weather we may spend part of next winter there as it is even drier than victoria and that is very important for your father some of our new acquaintances have recommended the southern part of alberta where the winter is shortened and made almost balmy by the wonderful chinook winds so named from the chinook indians who used to occupy that part of the country from which they blow these west winds coming from the mountains across the plains are warm and particularly drying when they melt the light and infrequent snowfalls of the winter they also dry the ground almost immediately so that even the hollows and ravines are free from dampness your father is greatly interested in these warm chinooks and we are almost sure to try their effect later another pleasure to which we look forward when he grows a little stronger is a trip by boat along the coast the fjords of british columbia are said to resemble those of norway and the whole coast with its wooded shores snowy mountain peaks and flashing cataracts is marvelously beautiful dora went to sleep that night with her mother's letter under her pillow and dreamt that they were camping out on the shore of a british columbian fjord when the warm wind came and blew all the tents into little boats in which they went sailing away to some wonderful country where no one would ever be sick and where no winds blew but balmy west ones she had nearly reached the land when a soft touch woke her and she found marjorie's happy face bending over her hurry up dear hurry for camp we want to start by ten at the latest and it is seven now and such a perfect day mother says we can take kitty with us won't that be fun and marjorie was off without waiting for an answer dora heard her singing laughing chatting as she flashed here and there helping and hindering in about equal proportions the whole house was filled with the pleasant bustle of preparation mr merrithew was as much of a boy in the matter of high spirits as the youngest of the party 
Mrs. Merrithew, blithe and serene, had everything perfectly planned, and engineered the carrying out of the plans with quiet skill. It was she who remembered where everything was, thought of everything that ought to be taken, and saw that every one of the party was properly clad. The party, by the way, was quite a large one, consisting of another whole family, the Greys, besides the Merrithews, Will Graham, a young collegian who was a friend of Mr. Merrithews, and Miss Covert, a rather delicate and very quiet little schoolteacher whom Mrs. Merrithew had taken under her wing from sheer kindness, but who proved a charming addition to the party. The Greys were six in number, Dr. Gray, a grave professor, Mrs. Gray, a tiny vivacious brunette, who had been Mrs. Merrithew's chum since their schoolgirl days, Carl and Hugh, twin boys of fourteen, and two girls, Edith, just Jackie's age, and Alice, so much older than the rest that she was almost grown up, and Marjorie and Dora looked upon her with admiring awe. Dr. Gray, both mamas, Susan, who was to do the cooking, as Debbie did not dare venture on anything so wild as sleeping out of doors, Jackie, little Edith Gray, and all the provisions, tents, and bedding were to go by stage, while Mr. Merrithew, Will Graham, and the twins were to divide the charge of three canoes and the four girls. At ten o'clock the big lumbering stage rattled up to the door, and the canoeists saw the others properly packed and waved them a cheerful adieu. Then they gathered up paddles, wraps, and lunch baskets, and hastened gaily off to the boathouse on the river bank. Here the work of embarking was quickly accomplished, and the four slender birches shot out into the stream, turned, and swept upward, propelled against the current by vigorous arms. Please sing, Daddy, Marjorie begged. And Mr. Merrithew promptly began an old favorite, but could get no further than the first verse in the days when we went gypsying a long time ago the lads and lasses in their best were dressed from top to toe so far he sang and then declared that both memory and breath had given out and that the ladies who had no work to do must forthwith provide the music after a little hesitation and some coaxing from marjorie dora sang in a clear sweet treble the well-known and much-loved ah, rolling my ball then someone started tenting on the old campground and all even the paddlers joined in the little schoolteacher providing a rich alto that took them all by surprise the river was deep blue reflecting the little clouds that floated in the azure overhead near the town the river was very broad as they forged upward it gradually narrowed and was thickly studded with islands they passed government house left the ruined hermitage behind and then began to feel that they were at last out of civilization and nearing the goal of summer quiet that they sought it was slow work this paddling against the current but the time went in a sort of enchanted way the tree-clad shores wore a fairy glamour and the islands where masses of grapevine and clematis were tangled over the bushes might have been each the home of an enchanted princess a dryad or any of the many fair forms of old romance. When about five miles had been covered, they heard the rush of water hurrying over shallows and nagging at the rocks. This was what the children delighted to call the rapids, but old canoemen simply dubbed it a stretch of swift water. 
but by whichever name it went it called for strong and skilful paddling and mr merrithew proposed that before they undertook it they should land and fortify themselves with lunch this suggestion met with great favor the canoes were swiftly beached and soon a merry little picnic party sat under a clump of gray shore willows while sandwiches tarts and cakes of many kinds vanished as if by magic success to the camp was drunken lemonade not ice cold and speeches were made that proved the good spirits if not the oratorical gifts of the group they rested here for an hour for one of the camp mottoes was time was made for slaves and they knew that the ones who had gone on by stage were resting comfortably in a farmhouse just opposite their destination till the canoeing party should come to ferry them over the farmhouse was owned by old friends with whom mr merrithew and mrs gray would be glad to spend a little time and for jack and edith the whole place would be full of wonders when it came to actually facing the rapids dora's heart failed her her cheeks paled and her eyes grew very large and dark but she held on tight to both sides of the canoe fixed her eyes on marjorie's back and said not a word she tried hard not to see the swirling water and the scowling rocks but no effort could shut out the confused seething noises that made her feel as if nothing in the world was stable or solid when at last the rush was over the sounds grew softer and the triumphant canoemen drew their good craft in to shore and paused to rest their tired muscles dora gave a deep sigh of relief marjorie turned a beaming face to see whatever was the matter frightened dear she said i forgot that you had not much canoeing it's too bad but dora laughed and the color came back to her face i ought not to mind she said for i have shot the lachine rapids but i think being in a large boat gives one a feeling of safety i know i wasn't half so afraid then as i was to-day it seemed to me there was nothing between me and the dreadful confusion shooting the lachine rapids is a great experience mr merrithew said i must confess i would not like to try those in a canoe as champlain did but now boys let us sit off briskly or we won't get things comfortable before night and they did hurry but for all their speed it was nearly dusk by the time the five white tents were pitched on saunders island this was a fairly large island ringed by a sandy beach from which the ground rose steeply to a green bank on which elms white birches and maples stood with a tangle of raspberry bushes and flowering shrubs among them inside the belt of trees was a broad sweep of rich meadowland with here and there a row of feathery elms or a cluster of chokecherry trees toward the upper end of the island stood an old stone house empty and almost a ruin not far from this house were two barns kept in good repair for the storing of the sweet island hay the tents were pitched about a hundred yards from the house just inside the tall bordering trees so that part of the day they would be in the shade these trees too would make ideal places for slinging the numerous hammocks which mrs merrithew and mrs gray had brought dora and marjorie greatly enjoyed watching the speed with which the tent poles two stout uprights and a horizontal ridge pole were got into position and the skill with which the white canvas was spread over them and stretched and pegged down and made into a cosy shelter there was a tiny a tent tucked away in the shadiest spot for the provisions and a large tent in a central position which mr gray named rainy day house 
and which was to be used as dining-room and parlor in case of severe rains then the other three were called respectively the chaperon's tent the boy's tent and the girl's tent the chaperon's abode was inhabited by mrs merrithew mrs gray susan jackie edith and the kitten the boy's tent was well filled by mr merrithew and dr gray who insisted on being boys for the occasion will graham and the twins and the girls tent sheltered mrs catherine culvert alice gray marjorie and dora the beds were of hay liberally provided by the friendly farmer the owner by the way of island house and barns under each bed was spread either a rubber sheet or a piece of table oilcloth then over the hay a thick gray blanket was laid there was another thick blanket to wrap around each person and still another to put over him or her as the case might be in the chaperon's tent only were they more luxurious there two large mattresses took the place of the hay and made a delightfully comfortable couch for three grown-ups and two children while the tents and beds were being attended to susan with a little help from mrs merrithew had succeeded in getting tea without waiting for any sort of a fireplace to be constructed she was rather anxious about the reception of this first meal as it had been cooked under difficulties but when she saw the speed with which her fried beans disappeared and found mrs gray taking a third cup of tea her spirits rose and she decided that campers were thoroughly satisfactory people for whom to cook after tea was over and all the dishes were washed one of the old campers proposed the usual big bonfire whereby to sit and sing but everyone was too sleepy and it was unanimously resolved that just this once the delightful evening of song and story must be omitted hearty good nights were exchanged and soon each tent for a brief while shone like that in the princess lamp lit from the inner to be more absolutely accurate lantern lit but what is a trifle of one word that it should be allowed to spoil a quotation then gently sweetly silence settled down over the little encampment silence save for the soft murmur of the river in its sleep and sometimes the drowsy chirping of a bird among the branches end of chapter four recording by rene lacroix woodstock ontario canada